everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another week of Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. I am so excited to have you joining me today for the squeeze on blood pressure. Today, we are talking about blood pressure. And this is something that hopefully we are all paying close attention to and monitoring for our patients on a daily basis, or I should say at each appointment. And I wanted to talk about this because I feel like for some reason, Blood pressure can be a touchy subject for patients, really. And I've had a couple of patients get a little persnickety about us taking blood pressure. And one of them was a patient we had been seeing for years, and he consistently had high blood pressure. So I don't know if it was just that, yeah, yeah, I don't want to hear that conversation again, or, you know, just, I don't know. But one of the visits he came in and we took it and he got really upset. Um, and angry and was like, I don't know why you guys do this every time. You're not my physician. I don't, I'm here for dental work. I don't need you to be looking at my blood pressure. I have a doctor for that. I'm not okay with it. And I'm not doing this anymore. And he got up and left and I was like, wow, okay. That was a strong reaction. And then about eight or nine months later, I got an email from him saying, Hey, I wanted to apologize for my outburst and my reaction at my last visit to you taking my blood pressure. Um, I didn't really realize how important that was. Um, And also, I didn't guess I valued how much you guys cared for me and all that you did for me, because apparently he had gone to another practice and uh, didn't feel like he was cared for as well. So he said, you know, I would I would love to apologetically come back and see you guys um, if that's okay. And of course we said, absolutely it is. And so now he's back. He's a great patient. He never argues about us taking blood pressure. You know, that was a big deal to him. And then about two months ago, I had a new patient come in and we had done the office tour and, you know, got back to the operatory. And um, I have a whole new patient verbiage sheet that I go through with him to kind of introduce who we are as a practice and how we practice and what we do at our appointments. And, you know, of course, blood pressure is on that list. And so as we kind of went through that, she stopped me and said, um, I, I might be in the wrong place. She said, I really just am here to get my teeth cleaned and make sure everything is healthy in my mouth. Like I have a doctor that I see for everything else and obviously for taking my blood pressure. So I don't really think that's something you guys need to be looking at. And I said, oh, well, actually, you know, blood pressure is a big part of total health and wellness. It has a big impact on you know, the type of anesthetics we use in dentistry. And it's something that it's important for us to know what your baseline is to make sure that you're healthy enough to receive dental care. And she just didn't see the value in that. So um, we agreed to part ways. 
And that's absolutely okay. You know, I always say that not every patient is for us and we're not the practice for every patient and that's okay. So, but it's just interesting how big of a deal this can be to patients. So it's something that I thought warranted a conversation. Some of this is just going to be some general review for us, but hopefully some of this is kind of some ideas and thoughts and, and directions for ways we can talk to patients about it and just bring some things to mind for them. Um, again, our whole goal is to help our patients get healthy and stay there. And so blood pressure is a big indicator of that. And so I just wanted to talk about it today. And so, you know, hypertension, I know we mentioned this in a previous podcast. It's one of those things that is really common. I mean, honestly, don't we see it all the time? But it's one of those things that though it's common, it's not normal or healthy. And I mean, I can say for myself, and I'm sure if I post this question to you, like how many patients do we see that are taking multiple blood pressure medications, but are still presenting with high blood pressure? Like it's all the time, I feel like. And so let's kind of dig in a little bit to just hypertension in general. You know, the other phrase for that is high blood pressure. And it is one of the most common chronic cardiovascular conditions in the United States and was the primary cause of over 35,000 deaths nationally in 2017. In many cases, unless it's measured, people can have hypertension but may be unaware of it, as it can be a relatively symptom-free disease, which is why it's also known as the silent killer. In fact, research conducted by the National Center for Biotechnology Information reports that undiagnosed and untreated hypertension can shorten lifespans by 10 to 20 years. That's a big deal. We know that elevated blood pressure levels lead to risk for chronic conditions like heart attack, stroke, kidney failure, blindness, sexual dysfunction, and many organ systems can be affected by blood pressure. And basically, the higher the blood pressure, the higher the risk. So it's really important that we communicate these things to our patients. In 2018, nearly half a million deaths in the United States included hypertension as a primary or contributing cause. And stats say that only about one in four adults, it was 24% to be exact, with hypertension have their condition under control. So that's really low. One in four adults have it under control. So this is definitely a gap that I think we get to and need to step into with our patients. So as we know, just for some general review, blood pressure is a force of blood pushing against blood vessel walls and is measured in millimeters of mercury, MMHG. Within the circulatory system, the blood pressure is dependent on a number of factors, including cardiac output, blood volume, heart rate, venous return, peripheral vascular resistance, and large artery elasticity. Blood pressure is represented as two numbers. The upper number, or systolic blood pressure, measures the pressure of blood when the heart beats after the ventricles contract. The second, or bottom number, is the diastolic blood pressure. This is the measured pressure of blood on the circulatory system when the heart rests between beats following closure of the aortic valve. Hypertension can be either acute or chronic, and acute hypertension can result from such stimuli as physical exertion, anxiety or stress, and generally normalizes once the stimulus ceases. Chronic hypertension is blood pressure that remains consistently higher than normal. 
A third category called white coat hypertension refers to blood pressure that is elevated when measured in a healthcare setting, but is otherwise normal. And the reality is that the white coat syndrome or white coat effect is a real thing. Um, and it does seem to be larger in older populations. And for those patients, um, you know, they'll tell you, oh, I have white coat syndrome as soon as you start to put the cuff on them. Um, for those patients, I usually recommend, hey, you know, if that's the case, and you know that about yourself, then I want to make sure that in your normal environment, when, you know, you're doing normal life, that things look normal and healthy. So I typically recommend those patients purchase a cuff for themselves. Um, you know, you can get a wrist cuff at this point on Amazon for about 30 bucks and check it you know, weekly, daily, you know, whatever, whatever they, depending on the level that you're seeing in the office, you know, I would probably say check it every day for a week to make sure things look normal and healthy. And if that's the case, then start checking it weekly and just really monitor that. But, you know, it, for those patients, it's really hard to know in our um, practice settings, what it truly looks like. So I encourage that in those cases. Obviously, in dentistry, we must be aware of the possibility of orthostatic hypertension, which can occur especially in older adults and those with diabetes or autonomic dysfunction. So orthostatic hypertension is an acute drop in blood pressure when attempting to stand after having been in a recumbent position for a period of time, as in laying in a dental chair. Um, Orthostatic hypertension can also be an adverse effect of some blood pressure medications. In many cases, having a person gradually assume a more vertical posture after dental treatment helps to prevent orthostatic hypertension. And typically, I feel like those patients that have that know that, so that'll be a conversation they have with you. But just always making sure, you know, that those patients sit up slowly, maybe elevate the, the chair in increments, um, let them kind of slide their legs to the side on the floor and just, you know, sit for a minute before they actually get up is a wise idea. So let's talk about the current target of what's considered normal for blood pressure. And there's a phrase that um, a, a local doctor here in Atlanta uses that I really like. She calls it the maximum of uh, maximum acceptable blood pressure level. Um, and I like to say that to patients because, you know, everybody's looking for that line of like what's OK, what's healthy and saying it as your maximum acceptable level helps them know you shouldn't go over that. So it is currently 120 over 80. And what's interesting is this level has consistently dropped over the years. Um, the acceptable range used to be much higher. And over the years, as we've learned more in the medical side of things, we've determined that, that you know, this is kind of the safest level to keep people at. So prior to 2017, the standard was 130 over 80. And the ranges for hypertension started at 140 over 90 for uh, patients under the age of 65 and 150 over 80 for patients above the age of 65. But the new guidelines stem from uh, the 2017 results of the systolic blood pressure intervention trial, otherwise known as SPRINT which studied more than 9,000 adults aged 50 and older who had systolic blood pressure of 130 or higher and at least one risk factor for cardiovascular disease. And the study's aim was to find out whether treating blood pressure to lower the systolic number to 120 or less was superior to the standard target of 140 or less. So the results found that targeting a systolic pressure of no more than 120 
reduce the chance of heart attacks, heart failure, or stroke over a three-year period. And so now the current um, standards from the um, American Heart Association are a normal blood pressure is going to be less than 120 over 80. Elevated is considered 120 to 129 over less than 80. High blood pressure, hypertension stage one, is going to fall between 130 over 139 and 80 to 89. High blood pressure stage two will fall 140 or higher over 90 or higher. And then hypertensive crisis where a patient needs to consult their doctor immediately is been deemed higher than 180 over higher than 120. And I know, you know, each practice has kind of their protocols for what they deem acceptable for treatment. I know in our practice, we don't want to see that. um, Obviously, we don't want to see the systolic above 180. We actually don't like to see the diastolic above 100. Um, And so, you know, figuring that out for your practice and what you're comfortable with is an important thing. And also being able to determine how you want to talk to your patients about it so that everybody's on the same page is super important. So we know what's considered normal and what we're looking for. But one thing we have to consider when we're taking blood pressure is we need to be as accurate as possible when we do it. And I will also say, I think an important part of this, and, you know, we say this a lot in Bulletproof and especially for helping patients achieve oral health and wellness is always removing shame and blame. So, you know, when you're taking blood pressure, you know, I think patients feel like they're being judged or, you know, this is like a test they're going to pass or fail and they start getting a little uncomfortable about it. I think we need to step in front of that and just remove the shame and blame and say, Hey, you know, this is, this isn't, you know, a pass or fail test. This is us making sure that your body is functioning properly and that you are healthy. Um, and so this isn't a judge. This is a judgment free zone. We are just taking an assessment, just like when we do our x-rays or, you know, our, our periodontal evaluation, we're just checking in to see where everything is at. So in order to elevate proper or to, in order to evaluate properly, there are seven common mistakes that we may be making. So I want to go through these because I think they're important. Um, Step one is not having the patient's legs crossed. That excess pressure of having the legs crossed can elevate um, your reading from two to eight points. Um, Another thing that they recommend is having, ideally having the feet flat on the floor. And I know in a dental environment, you know, in our operatory chairs, you know, in order to have our patient comfortably being able to kind of lean back and rest, they've got their legs up flat on the chair. And I think that's okay. I think the concern is more having your legs kind of dangling and not feeling like you're, you're set. Um, So that's something to consider. Um, Number three is that you must use a bare arm or wrist, because if we're taking it through any kind of fabric, um, even a t-shirt, so a t-shirt can elevate up to five points, but you know, if it's winter and they've got, you know, a sweater or a hoodie or a jacket going through that can actually raise it anywhere from five to 50 points. So that's pretty significant. So whether you're using um, an arm cuff 
or a wrist cuff, you want to make sure you're doing it on bare skin and not through fabric. Um, the fourth most common mistake is using the wrong cuff size. So if we use a cuff that is too small, that's creating additional pressure to begin with, and that can elevate your reading from two to 10 points. Um, I know for us in our practice, we, and on the hygiene side and the restorative side, we tend to use the, the wrist cuffs. Um, and then we also have the arm cuffs. We do a lot of sedation in our practice. So we've got the arm cuff that um, hooks up to the monitor and we've got a couple of different sizes for that. So if we have a patient and we're doing the wrist cuff and it's reading high and we're concerned, we'll, you know, drag the card in and, and check it with the, the regular arm cuff as well. So we've got some options there, but you want to make sure that you have different options in the practice. You know, there's a pediatric size, there is, you know, just a regular adult size, there's an obese size, there's a thigh size. Those are a lot of different options, but you want to use the proper size cuff. Um, Number five, you want to support the arm at heart level. So you don't want to have it, you know, laying on your, on the rest of the chair. Um, again, I use the wrist cuff. So I have them just cross it across their chest. And it's funny because I'll see patients even kind of like drape, drape it over their lap and I'll say, actually, I need you to hold that up kind of at heart level. And the one we have actually talks to them and, you know, asks them to hold it at heart level and not speak. So um, that helps kind of solidify that request. Um, number six is interesting. So I didn't know this, but a full bladder can elevate blood pressure by 10 points. A super full bladder, like they've been holding it for a while and they really got to go, can keep it elevated for up to three hours. So that's really interesting. And, you know, at this point, I feel like we have a lot of uncomfortable and strange conversations in our operatories. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, like, do you by chance need to use the restroom? Because that can elevate it. Or, you know, on the way back, hey, do you need to stop, you know, on our way back? Um, but that was something that I didn't know, but that makes sense because you're adding more pressure to everything. Um, number seven. So I knew that talking could elevate blood pressure, but so can active listening, meaning like if you're engaging that patient and you're telling them something, a story, they're really listening, they're really involved, that plus and or talking can elevate blood pressure up to 10 points. So you really want to be taking it while they're quiet. You don't want to be talking to them. You don't want them talking to you. Um, and, you know, I think it's easy for us. And this is something we need to think through because I used to bring a patient back, sit him in the chair and immediately check blood pressure. And that's kind of the wrong thing to do because you think they've probably, you know, they've probably been in traffic on the way to you rushing to get there. They get there, they walk in, you know, they're standing up out of the car, they're walking back, they're sitting down. So there's been a whole lot of movement happening. They really need to just sit still and relax for a few minutes before you take that. So I've kind of shifted to now. Um, just kind of checking in with them. Hey, how you doing? What's been going on? Any, you know, any new medications since your last visit? Any done any um, medical findings? How's how are things dentally? And letting them just kind of sit for a minute. Um, and then if they're due for x-rays to me, that's a great time to just kind of quietly take the x-rays, maybe check in a little bit, you know, socially, how's life, what's been going on. Um, and then by the time you're done with all that, you know, you had a chance to finish x-rays and put everything away and look at them. That's a great time to take it. 
Um, I have found that when I take it at the very top of the appointment, a lot of times it will come out high and I'll say, you know what, I'm going to give it a few minutes because I, I've been doing this long enough to know that if we'll let you rest for a minute, it'll likely come down. Um, and, and that usually is the case. So I always start there. If you've got somebody that's got a really high reading, um, I usually, you know, ask, Hey, have you hydrated at all today? Um, give them a, little, a small bottle of water and just give them a few minutes to just kind of sit and relax. And I leave them alone in the room. So they're not talking, not tempted to talk or vice versa. And um, if, if it's really coming up high and you guys are worried, you can also lay the chair back and have them lay on their left side for a few minutes. Um, and a lot of times that'll bring it down. So just some, some tips and tricks on that front. One thing we have to be mindful of, and I, I get this a lot from patients is it'll either as I'm putting the cuff on or as it, you know, we see the results, they'll be like, oh, oh yeah, I just had a cup of coffee. So that's why it's high. What's interesting is um, for patients who can tolerate caffeine well, caffeine really will only elevate blood pressure by one to two points. Um, now there is a chance that maybe this is somebody who doesn't tolerate it well, and maybe they don't even know that because for those patients, it can elevate it anywhere from five to 10 points. So that might be something you want to have a conversation about. If, if it is coming up high and they're kind of arguing, yeah, it's my, I'm sure it's the coffee. You know what? Challenge them to kind of do a little self-study and see what they find. You know, grab a blood pressure cuff, you know, on Amazon and check it 30 minutes before you drink your coffee. Check it 30 minutes after and see what you find. And if it's, you know, five to 10 points higher, that's something I want you to talk to your physician about. You know, you're, you may not have the right metabolism to process caffeine properly. And that's something that's important to know. So that would be a little conversation to have there. And then we also need to keep in mind that there are certain kinds of medications and especially decongest decongestants that can elevate blood pressure. And those are like your um, sufeted, su, pseudophedadrine, um, ephedadrine, phenylphedadrine, naph Phylozine and oxymetazoline. All of those can increase blood pressure and heart rate. So those are things like anything that has the D after. So your Allegra D, your Zyrtec D, your Claritin D, all those decongestants that are married to allergy medications are really common. And I bring that up because in Atlanta, where I feel like we are the allergy capital of the world, a majority of my patients are taking those kind of medications. So that's, that's important to be aware of as well. So now that we kind of know what we're looking for number wise, and we are taking an accurate reading, I want to talk a little bit about what the root causes of high blood pressure are, because again, patients will get a little defensive about, you know, why that is they have that. And, you know, they, they feel like they need to defend that. And again, they don't like it's, it's okay. This is an assessment. This isn't a judgment on who you are or, or what you're doing in life. Um, but they, we know there are some root causes of high blood pressure that we can easily talk with them about um, and help them kind of maybe do some strategies on improving that in a more natural way. So first and foremost, sleep is one of the most important drivers to maintaining healthy blood pressure. We know that when we sleep, that is our body's time to clean up all of the trash and toxins from the day. Um, and that can really facilitate a healthy blood pressure. So making sure that our patients are getting swap quality sleep 
is really important to all aspects of our lives, from helping support a functioning immune system, to helping our mental health, um, to helping our endurance. I mean, our focus, sleep is covers everything. So, you know, having that conversation, well, how many hours of sleep are you getting a night? And is it quality sleep? Are you, you know, rest, sorry, are you restless? You know, are you waking multiple times, but just kind of starting to have that conversation. And then obviously from the dental world, we're also looking, are there any signs of, you know, apnea or mouth breathing? You know, is the patient snoring? Are they dreaming regularly? You know, these are all easy conversations to ask. Um, one thing we know is our mouth breathing patients, our patients that snore, our patients that have apnea, um, all of that prevents production of nitric oxide, um, which is really a miracle mouth molecule. We develop it in the floor of our sinuses and in the, by the healthy bacteria in our mouths. And it's super, super important, um, for delivering oxygen to the rest of our body, to keeping our arteries soft and pliable. But decreased nitrous oxide, not not nitric oxide, um, elevates blood pressure for sure and raises the heart rate. So especially if we have untreated sleep apnea, you're going to have uncontrolled blood pressure. And I have seen this many times over with patients. So that's, you know, just having some simple questions. And if we're seeing some signs of apnea, mouth breathing, snoring, they can't breathe through their nose, allergies, you know, all those kind of things, it's worth a conversation of just encouraging them to do a sleep study and see what they find there. Because if there is untreated apnea, that blood pressure is going to be elevated every time. Um, Moving on from sleep to diet. So this is probably not a shock to anyone, but studies show that half of high blood pressure cases, the root cause is poor diet. So, you know, in our westernized diet, I'm sure that, again, is not shocking to anyone, but, um, you know, we know that dietarily high sodium is a big driver for high blood pressure. And sodium is an electrolyte. We know that electrolytes are minerals in our blood that control the distribution of fluids throughout the body, among other functions. And the major electrolytes our body requires are sodium, potassium, chloride, magnesium, and calcium. And sodium helps keep the body's fluids in balance, while potassium helps with muscle contractions and nerve transmission. And it's interesting because potassium and sodium have an inverse relationship, meaning as sodium goes up, potassium levels decrease and vice versa. So we got to think this through, you know, we know that high sodium drives uh, high blood pressure. And so you want to have that conversation with patients about, Hey, what does your sodium intake look like? You know, how much salt are you ingesting? And, you know, people, I think immediately think how much salt are they putting on their food? And it could be none and they could still have a really high sodium intake. And that is probably, happening through processed foods and restaurant foods. Because when you start looking at the labels, the sodium content is unbelievable in these processed foods. So ideally, you're going to urge your patients to stay under about 1500 milligrams per day. So, you know, encourage them to start looking at the labels and paying attention. If they are adding salt, again, you know, maybe that's something they need to reconsider. And again, pay attention to the labels because they may be adding on top of an already exorbitant amount. 
And then, like I just said, so if we've got high sodium, then we're likely going to have low potassium. So increasing potassium can be a big help when it comes to decreasing blood pressure. And the best place to find potassium is in leafy green veggies, especially Swiss chard. But here's the catch. It takes about five cups a day to get you to that healthy potassium level. It's about 5,000 milligrams a day. So that's one of those supplements that most of your, or that's one of those minerals, um, electrolytes that most of your patients are going to need to get through a supplement. So that might be something you suggest. And before I go any further, what I want to say is obviously we are not here to take a physician's place We're you know, we're not, um, we're just giving them some ideas and some thoughts to think through. And the best thing to do is say, Hey, I want to talk to you about this. I want you to talk to your physician about this because obviously I want to work in tandem with them to make sure that we are really getting you healthy, but here's some things I want you to think about and think through. Um, another, um, electrolyte deficiency that can drive it is magnesium. And magnesium does a lot of really great things for our body. It helps relax our muscles. So most patients who have a magnesium deficiency um, are going to have symptoms of constipation, leg cramps, headaches, um, a hard time getting to sleep or a hard time relaxing. Um, So magnesium is actually a really nice thing to take just for life in general to help you stay a little more relaxed. Um, Nobody likes having headaches or leg cramps. And it can actually decrease blood pressure. So that might be something to consider having a conversation about. Um, Next is vitamin D. And we've heard a lot about vitamin D, especially coming off of COVID, for how much it impacts our immune function. Um, I know the stats are crazy high that as a country, we tend to have pretty widespread vitamin D deficiency. But vitamin D has been shown to lower blood pressure. And vitamin D, though it's called a vitamin, it really is a hormone that we make in our kidneys. And what's interesting is patients with high blood pressure can have low kidney function. So if we've got high blood pressure and and our kidneys aren't functioning properly, then we're probably not making the vitamin D that we need. Um, So they may be deficient in it already. So that, again, it's been shown to lower blood pressure, but if you have high blood pressure and you're even more deficient in it, that's a simple thing that they could elevate um, and start taking a supplement for. Omega-3 fatty acids have been shown to lower blood pressure as well as they have anti-inflammatory properties. So omega-3s are a great thing to consider, especially if your patient has got some inflammatory issues going on. If we see, you know, those red puffy swollen gums, that's a good conversation to have as well. And then lastly, on the dietary front, I do want to point out alcohol intake um, absolutely can increase blood pressure. And For women, the studies showed just one drink a day can impact blood pressure and drive that up. And for males, two servings a day. And there are some patients that actually lack the enzyme to process and break down alcohol properly. It's interesting, there are some genetic tests, or there is some genetic testing that you can do, some blood testing um, that will tell you if you are able, if you have those enzymes or not. So if you, and, and I feel like most patients will know if they can handle alcohol well or not, but not everybody knows that we're not all wired to do that. So um, if you've got a patient who has high blood pressure consistently, you know, kind of digging in like, Hey, how much alcohol are you drinking in a week? What is that looking like for you? What, you know, are you drinking every day? Are you just kind of having those conversations? Cause that can be 
one of the big issues on that front. Um, so outside of diet, we're going to move on to stress. And emotional stress actually makes our arteries constrict and elevates the blood pressure. Just like tightening the nozzle on a hose makes the water pressure go up. So chronic anger and hostility and stress and frustration, um, interestingly, particularly depression and hopelessness also have a really strong effect on blood pressure. So I encourage discussion about stress levels and just simple strategies to reduce stress. So I feel like we have this great space we are in as hygienists um, to really talk to our patients about these things. You know, sometimes we start talking about some of this stuff and we're like, ah, this kind of seems personal and I'm not their doctor. And I don't want to talk to them about their weight or their diet or, you know, their stress levels, but we really do have this beautiful relationship with our patients where we can step in and say, Hey, I really care about you. And this level that I'm seeing today, this reading is concerning to me. So let's kind of talk about some of the things that can contribute to that. This might be an easy thing for you to, um, you know, lower pretty quickly. What, what has stress level been like for you lately? Um, you know, we know, like we all have it, we deal with it every day, but you know, whether it's, you know, something, a job change or looking at loss of a job, or, you know, maybe you're a caretaker for someone or going through a divorce. I mean, there's just so many different stresses that can impact people and really make an impact on total health. So having that conversation and then just some simple strategies, maybe it's, Hey, when you get home at the end of the day, you know, taking a walk instead of maybe having that glass of wine, um, or, you know, setting up a, a coffee date with a friend or, you know, joining like a, a, a group, you know, maybe you have like to, you know, have different um, go bowling or, you know, whatever your hobby is. Maybe there's a group for that or a church group or even something as simple as meditation can make a big impact. And there's some really good apps that have some simple, quick meditations that you can do throughout the day. Um, box breathing is actually a really easy way to bring down heart rate and blood pressure pretty quickly. And I know that's something I think the Navy SEALs teach and use, but, um, it's a simple way to just kind of focus on your breathing and you breathe in, um, I can't remember the number of seconds, if it's four seconds that you breathe in and then you hold it for four and then you breathe out for four and then you hold it again for four. I may be wrong on the timing, but basically you do, you kind of create that box in your brain as you're doing each segment and just taking the time to breathe in and focus on that and kind of take your mind off the stress can make a huge impact. So just kind of talking to your patients about some simple strategies like that. Um, again, creating that sense of community and connection, you know, making sure they've got some good social constructs around them is really important. So don't be afraid to have that conversation. Um, everyone wants to feel less stressed. I, I feel that for sure. Um, obesity is a huge contributor to high blood pressure. And it's been found that maintaining a healthy weight is huge in obtain, obtaining and maintaining healthy blood pressure. So again, let's not be afraid to have that conversation of, Hey, you know, what, what's life looking like right now? You know, do you have any, are you working towards any goals on weight loss? Because I know that, you know, the more we gain, the higher that blood pressure can go, the more pressure we're putting on our body and our organs. So let's talk about that. What, you know, what are, what are you doing and how can I, how can I encourage you and champion you, champion you? Um, then there's other factors that we know about smoking and nicotine use increase, um, discussing cessation there is always a good call. 
lack of physical activity, age, familial history and genetics plays a role, um, patients being in pain. And then obviously there's different medications that can drive blood pressure, you know, stimulants, we talked about decongestants, immunosuppressants, corticosteroids, oral and oral contraceptives can all drive blood pressure higher. And then obviously there are certain diseases like diabetes that can be a root cause for high blood pressure. So, um, you know, it, I just encourage us to get comfortable with those different things and, and to be able to just talk about them. You know, I always say to patients, I'm not here to, to revamp your life, but I am here to help you get healthy and feel the best you can feel. And sometimes that's the conversation and that's the direction to take it is, hey, I want to help you be your best self. I want you to feel really good so you can do what you need to do and want to do in life. And so these things I'm talking about, there's, there's not judgment here for me. It's, Hey, I really want to take care of you. I really want to help you. Let's talk about some simple strategies. So considerations for high blood pressure in dentistry. Why does this matter? Why is it important to us? And obviously I've said it, but Regular screenings can save lives. And we know that. We know that when it comes to periodontal disease, the impact we make on life. Um, so we have a beautiful position of getting to see patients more frequently than they see their physicians. So doing these screenings, we may pick up something that has gone undetected or unnoticed. Um, you know, I can't tell you the numbers of patients now that we're coming out of COVID from, you know, where patients are coming back in post COVID finally, and it's been two or three years since they've been to the dentist or their physician. So I do think it's up to us to do that screening because we may find something that could be life-threatening for them. So I think that's the first reason we're doing this. Um, but also, you know, I think we need to consider that there are a lot of oral complications that are associated with taking medications for blood pressure. And those can range from dry mouth, which we know leads to decay issues and being uncomfortable, um, alterations in taste, gingival enlargement, and lichenoid reactions. So obviously we know when any of these signs or symptoms are observed, um, you know, if we feel like we are not able to manage those issues or resolve those with our own modalities, then obviously we want to um, have that patient consult or we could even consult with their prescribing physicians and have those conversations. At this point, there are so many different blood pressure medications out on the market that, um, you know, if one isn't working, then you know, there's a whole host of things they could try um, on top of obviously all the things we just talked about from more of a holistic approach. So we know that when patients come to see us that they can tend to be very anxious about dental care, um, but also a lot of times they come and they're in pain. And those two things, anxiety and pain together, both of those are going to drive the blood pressure higher. So those are important things to consider when we're seeing these patients. And I think this is one of the reasons it's really important. And I'm going to always promote us taking it at every hygiene visit, because that gives us a baseline. A lot of times when patients come for hygiene, they're not super anxious. I know that we have some that are. I absolutely, I've been doing this a long time. I, I've seen them with you. But most patients for a regular hygiene visit aren't too anxious. So we kind of know what's normal and baseline for them. So that then when they do come in with 
pain or discomfort and anxiety about, you know, needing a root canal or an extraction or something like that, we know what their norm is. So we've got a good comparison to see, hey, is this, do we think this has more to do with the fact that they're anxious and there's pain versus just this being the norm for them? Um, And this is a big deal when we are considering what anesthetics to use. So obviously we know that the anesthesia itself does not raise blood pressure, but the epinephrine, which prolongs the numbing effect, can raise blood pressure because it is a vasoconstrictor. So those with high blood pressure may need to have their doses adjusted, or we might need to consider using something like carbocaine that does not contain the epinephrine. And obviously, you know, if we've got patients that we know, number one, we know what their blood pressure is, but number two, we know what current antihypertensive medications they're taking. That's super important because we know there can be adverse interactions between different classes of drugs and epinephrine. So it's really important to ask that question every time, hey, are you still taking lisinopril? You know, whatever, whatever they're taking, verify that because they could have changed different, you know, changed to a new medication that's in a different class. So that's really important to know if we're considering using any kind of anesthetic. Um, We also know that when hypertension is combined with a numbing agent, patients are more likely to bleed during procedures like extractions. Um, so if a patient is on an antihypertensive medication, obviously, again, your dosages will be adjusted and other anesthesia may be considered, um, to keep your patients comfortable during their procedure. Um, but also we need to consider what things look like from a, um, what medications are taking, make sure they're not on any kind of blood thinners, that sort of thing. If we're going to be doing something like extractions or scaling or root planing. So hopefully, um, I'm sure a lot of this information today was a refresher for you. Um, Hopefully it's got you thinking towards having more conversations with patients and just helping to educate them better and really helping them see that, you know, this isn't just a life sentence that, you know, there are some options that they can do for themselves. They can be their own advocate in this and really take a role in it. And I'm going to encourage you, if you don't already in your practice, have have a protocol for when you take blood pressure, then I want to encourage you to do that. Um, Obviously, I'm a proponent of taking it at every hygiene visit. And obviously, prior to any time you are administering anesthesia, but set up a protocol for how you talk to your patients about it, how you educate them about it, Um, create some verbiage for your team and help make sure that everybody is on the same page. Um, determine what are your acceptable ranges for treating patients. What's your limit? What's your cutoff? When are you going to send them to their physician? When are you going to send them to the emergency room? Um, these are all really important conversations to have as a team. And, you know, sometimes we, we have it established and we're like, yeah, we know this, but we may not remember that when we bring in fresh new team members to have that conversation. So hopefully this is a catalyst for you to have a conversation with your team and maybe at morning huddle tomorrow and just kind of bring it back up and say, hey, I want to make sure we're all on the same page with this. Um, One idea that we have that we use at our practice is we've actually created little referral sheets. They're just little quarter sheets of paper that have our information, you know, our practice information, our phone number, our doctor's name, um, and then some lines for us to record the blood pressure readings. Um, obviously there's a line for the date of the visit. And then we, we have one of our protocols is we take the blood pressure at least three times, um, at five minute intervals. And if we're still seeing that it's, you know, really high beyond what we're comfortable with, we, you know, write all those readings down, fill out that sheet 
make any other notes we have or concerns we have. Um, maybe it's that we need, you know, need to do an extraction or, you know, something that we're concerned about and then encourage them to take that to their physician. Um, another part of this is to make sure, you know, we think about the hygienist and the doctor and the assistant understanding this, but this is also really important for your business team and those that answer the phone and schedule appointments to be aware of as well. Because if you send a patient away because blood pressure was too high, if you dismiss them for that day, obviously they still need to return to see you for treatment or for hygiene, whatever that is. And it's important that whoever is going to answer the phone when that patient calls to schedule knows what happened and can check in with them to say, hey, have you seen your doctor? You know, do you have clearance? How's everything looking? What changes have been made? So that we're all on the same page and they're not just rescheduling somebody who hasn't yet gotten things addressed. So making good notes, good communication, it's all part of the process. And maybe even sharing your email with your patient or checking in with them at the end of the day. To me, this I had a patient we had to dismiss um, two weeks ago. And I just sent her an email the next day and said, Hey, I just wanted to check in, just, you know, get, see if you got an appointment with your physician, see what you, what your care plan is, what are you guys doing and see if we can't get you back in in a few weeks once you've gotten this addressed. So then they have your contact information to reply once they're in a good spot and you guys can worry about or can um, get them rescheduled at, at uh, their convenience. So hopefully some good thoughts to think here, and I would love to know what you guys are doing, what your protocol looks like. Um, what have you found that works well? What conversations are you having that patients seem really receptive to? How is this working for you? So if you haven't yet, I invite you to come join us on our Mighty Network. It is a free app that you download onto your phone. And then once you've downloaded it, you just search Bulletproof Hygiene and welcome to our community. This is a, a place and space for us to ask questions, celebrate wins, share ideas. Um, so please, please, please chime in, join and chime in because that is why we're here. So here is to being bulletproof this week and making sure that we're doing a great job on the blood pressure front. And I hope everyone has a great week. Thank you for spending some time with me today and investing in yourself. And here's to getting our patients healthy. Everyone have a great week and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you.